Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Shut Up and Listen. I'm your host, Gassi, and I just want to start off by saying thank you guys so much for tuning in once more. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day wherever you are. If you guys are new to this podcast, I'm going to be diving into some topics ranging from urban legends, conspiracy theories, murder mysteries, among other things. So, please grab a drink, snack, blanket, kick your feet up, and shut up and listen. Okay, so getting on into today's podcast. Today's topic is extremely graphic, and I must verbalize a disclaimer. So here it is. Warning. The content you are about to listen to is extremely disturbing, and some listeners may find it difficult to listen to. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, diving into today's episode, we're going to be talking about the real-life boogeyman, Mr. Albert Fish, born May 19, 1870 in Washington, D.C., to Randall and Ellen Fish. Albert was the, younger, was the youngest of three children, and at the time of his birth, his father was 75 years old, 43 years older than his wife, who was 32. Albert's mother and father had a long history of mental illness, where they dealt with auditory hallucinations and manic episodes. Fortunately, it was never truly acknowledged or treated properly, and, I mean, considering they were living in the 1800s, understandably. Unfortunately, Albert's father passed away when Albert was five years old. His mother sent him off to an orphanage while she got back on her feet, as she found it difficult to support three children on her own. It was said that Albert suffered horrible abuse and neglect while at the orphanage. And over time, Albert stated that he began to enjoy the physical pain he endured while at the orphanage noting that they mercilessly whipped and beat the children about five years later his mother removed him from the orphanage as she was now stable enough to look after albert and his siblings this was the beginning of albert's interest in young men where he would then spy on boys while they dressed in public places such as pool changing areas, restrooms. And although this is not related to the whole peeping Tom habit he he picked up, he also developed a new habit of drinking his own urine and eating his own feces. I don't know how those two correlate together, but that's what this dude was into. When he was around 20 years old, he moved to New York City where he began working as a prostitute, and his rape of young boys began. Eight years after he moved to New York City, his mother arranged for him to marry a woman of the name... She went by Anna Mary Hoffman. Surprisingly, they had six children together. Albert was then working as a house painter, all while continuing his sick enjoyment of sexual molestation and rape of young boys. The vast majority of the boys that fell victim to him were between the ages of six or younger. Once he recounted a time when he and a male lover had gone to a museum where a dissection of a penis 
was taking place. Albert was immediately hooked upon seeing this and decided he was into sexual mutilation. This dude just keep picking up some weirder and weirder interests and habits. I don't know. I don't know how, but soon after, Albert got into another relationship with a 19-year-old man by the name of Thomas Kennan. Thomas Kennan was intellectually disabled. And unfortunately, knowing this, Albert took advantage of Thomas. Where they then started a say sadomasochistic relationship. But it was never really clear whether or not Thomas consented to this type of relationship. Sometime after, he took Thomas to an abandoned farmhouse where he tied him up, tortured him for two whole weeks, and cut off half of his penis. Apparently, he originally intended to kill Thomas, cut up his body, and take it home, but didn't due to the hot weather, and Albert feared the weather would make the body smell become so apparent he would get caught. So when he was still tied up, Albert poured hydrogen peroxide on the wound, wrapped it in Vaseline, covered it with a handkerchief, and left Thomas $10, kissed him goodbye. Albert stated he never knew what became of Thomas. He took a train out of state. In 1917, Albert's wife left him for another man. Fish was left to raise his children as a single parent and pretty much started from the ground up since his wife took everything from him. Around this time, Fish had a mental breakdown where he began to have auditory hallucinations. He apparently one time wrapped himself up in a carpet, stating that he was following the instructions of John the Apostle. Around the same time, Albert began to harm himself, lodging needles inside his stomach and groin area. After he was arrested, it was discovered that he had about 29 needles inside of him to engage in other self-harm activities he would hit himself with a nail studded paddle and would occasionally insert wool doused in lighter fluid and put it in his anus and light it on fire as i said albert was said to be a single parent but surprisingly he was not abusive to his children at all i mean this is pretty traumatic but i mean he would encourage his children hit him with the nail-studded paddle. That's some real trauma right there. Alongside with Albert then deciding he was really into cannibalism and began to eat raw human meat, he then started to make his children eat raw human meat. In 1919, in Washington, D.C., Albert stabbed another disabled person. The reason he targeted he targeted intellectually disabled and African American individuals was because he thought they wouldn't be missed, which is super inexcusable. In 1924, Fish found an eight-year-old girl by the name of Beatrice Keel playing in her family's farm in Staten Island, and Albert offered the girl money to help him look for rubber. 
which is freaking random. But she was actually about to leave the farm until Beatrice's mother saw what was going on and chased, chased him away. Weirdly enough, he came back and tried to sleep there. The father of the family, Jim, Jim Neal, found him and, for, and forced him to leave. Albert, who was now 54 at the time, said that he was absolutely convinced through his own psychosis that he was ordered by God to sexually molest and torture children. He had been molesting a boy by the name of Cyril Quinn. He saw Cyril and a friend playing outside and asked if they wanted if they had eaten lunch. And when the boy said no, Fish invited the boys to lunch back at his place. The boys were then playing on Albert's bed, which is freaking odd. I don't know why they would play on his bed to begin with, but that's what they were doing. While playing, the boys moved the mattress where they found Albert's knife, knee cleaver, and handsaw. Upon viewing this, the boys fled the apartment. In May of 1928, Fish saw an ad on a newspaper that read, Young man, 18, wishes position in country essentially looking for work, Edward Budd. Albert then visited Mr. Edward Budd in Manhattan, where he introduced himself under a false name and pretended he was going to hire Edward and a friend named Willie to work for him. He later confessed he was going to tie Edward up, mutilating him and leaving him to bleed to death. He said he would be back in a couple days. When he returned, he met the daughter of the family, Grace Bud. And apparently, when he saw her, he knew he didn't want Ed Bud, but wanted Grace to be his new victim. He quickly fabricated a story where he said he wanted to take Grace to his niece's birthday party. He convinced the family into allowing Grace to go with him. They never saw Grace or Albert again. Six years later, in 1934, there was an anonymous letter sent to the Bud family. And this letter is what actually led police to Albert. I'm going to read the letter to you guys. <clears throat> My dear Mrs. Budd, in 1894, a friend of mine shipped on a deck to the steer Tacoma to Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the ship was gone. And at the time, there was a famine in China, me of any kind, from $1 to $3 a pound. So great was the suffering of the poor that all the children under 10 were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe on the streets. You could go into any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stewie. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl was brought out and just what you wanted cut out from the boy or, boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body. A soiled veal cutlet brought the highest price. John stayed there so long he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he kidnapped two boys, an 11-year-old and 7-year-old. He took them to his home stripped them naked and tied them in his closet, burned everything they had on, 
Several times a day and night, he spanked them, tortured them, to make their meat good and tender. First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass and had the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass, broiled, fried, stewed. The little boy was next, went, went the same way. At the time, I was living at 409 East 100th Street, near right side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street. Brought you pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat on my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her. On the pretense of taking her to a party, you said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester. I had already picked out. When we got her, when we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went inside, stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I didn't, I would get her blood on them. When I was all ready, I went to a window and called her, and then hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and started to run downstairs. I grabbed her and said, I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked, how she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take the meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. Took me nine days to eat her her entire body. I did not fuck her, though I could, though I could have. How I wish she died a virgin. Freaking sick. <laughs> Once the Bud family received this letter, they obviously took it to police because of the exact stationery that was used. They were able to find out it was Albert Fish who wrote the letter, and they took him in for questioning. After his arrest, there were other victims that were discovered. Nine-year-old Francis McDonald. In 1924, he failed to return home after playing catch with his friends and his parents then reported him missing. A search was set out and he was found hanging off of a tree in the woods near his home, where they found him to be sexually assaulted and strangled with his own suspenders. It was found he had a ton of lacerations to his legs and stomach. His legs and hamstrings was devoided of flesh, so Albert pretty much, he ripped off his skin, off of his hamstrings. Albert originally intended to castrate the boy, but heard someone nearby and decided to strangle him. Fortunately, another victim in February 1927, three-year-old Billy Bean and his 12-year-old brother playing in, in the hallway of their apartments with another four-year-old boy by the name of Billy Garner. The older boy, soon after playing, realized that the younger boys had disappeared. Three-year-old Billy Beaton was found on the top of the roof of the apartments. When Billy Beaton was questioned about what happened to Billy to Billy Garner, all he said was that the boogeyman took him. <laughs>
Billy Garner was never found. This is Albert Fish's statement to his attorney on what he did to Billy, Billy Garner. I brought him to the Rescue Avenue dumps. There is a house that stands alone not far from where I took him. I took the G-boy there, stripped him, tied his hands and feet, gagged him with a dirty rag I picked out from the dump. Then I burned his clothes, threw his, threw his shoes in the dump, then I walked back to the trolley to 59th Street at 2 a.m. and walked home from there. The next day, about 2 p.m., I took tools, a good heavy cat nine tails, homemade short handle, one of my belts cut in half, slid these half in six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran from his legs. I cut off his ears, nose, slit, slit his mouth from ear to ear, and gouged out his eyes. He was dead then. I stuck a knife in his belly and held my mouth to his body and drank his blood. I picked up four old potato sacks, gathered a pile of stones, then cut him up. I had a grip with me. I put his ears and a few slices of his belly in the grip. Then I cut him. I cut him up and I sorry, sorry, can't English today. I cut him up through the middle of his body, just below his belly button. Then through his legs, just below two inches of his behind. I put this in my grip with a lot of paper. I cut off his head, feet, arms, and the legs below the knee. Then I put it in sacks, weighed with the stones, tied the ends, and threw them in the pool of slimy waters. You will see all along the road going to North Beach waters, three to four feet deep. They sink at once. I came home with my meat. I had the front of his body I liked best. His monkey and peewees in a nice little fat behind to roast in the oven and and wait to eat. I made a stew of his ears, nose, and pieces of his face and belly. I put onions, carrots, turnips, celery, salt, and pepper. It was good. Then I slid the cheeks of his behind open, cut off his monkey and peewee, and washed them first. I put the strips of bacon on each cheek of his behind and put it in the oven. Then I picked four onions, and when the meat had roasted about a quarter hour, I had put in a pint of water over over it for gravy and put in onions. At frequent intervals, I basted it basted his behind with a wooden apron with a wooden spoon, so the meat would be nice and juicy. In about two hours, it was nice and brown all the way cooked through. I never tasted any roast turkey as good as his little behind did. I ate every bit of the meat in four days. His little monkey was as sweet as a nut, but his peewees I could not chew and threw them in the toilet. So, here on in. This guy was, like I stated, the real life freaking boogeyman. I feel so, so bad for all these young, innocent children. I mean, this case is extremely fucked up. 
Let's keep it real. His trial began in 1935, and he was put to death by the electric chair in 1936. He stated that he didn't know what he was doing there. Honestly, I don't understand how... I guess, I mean, I'm not sure if maybe his children knew what he was, you know, doing with the whole sexual molestation. Because, I mean, it's said that his children, you know, were not abused by him. But also, um, I guess you could say, participated in Albert's own self-harming activities. But did they know about his sexual molestation and torture of his young victims? Did his wife ever... I guess notice any strange behaviors I mean I, these are just some of the questions that I have in mind but yeah this was the real life case of the real life boogeyman Albert Fish honestly I feel like yeah he got what he deserved died by the electric chair but I think they could have done much much worse so thank you guys for tuning in I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast and I hope you guys make good choices. Stay safe and I'll catch you guys next time. Bye.